0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. This is Design Matters with Debbie Millman from designobserver.com. On this program, Debbie Millman talks with James Victoria about his apprenticeship in graphic design, about the role of opinion in his work, and about his suspicions of surface beauty and polish.
1: I'm trying to get to a place that is even more clumsy, less finished, less perfect, Here's Debbie Melman.
2: James Victoria, Inc. is an independent design studio hell-bent on world domination. This is the very first thing you read when you Google James Victoria. And there you have this artist and designer in a nutshell. Playful, hyperbolic, humorous, fierce, and maybe even a little ruthless. Whether it's a skull sticking out a patriotic tongue or the words, use a condom, scrawled over the silhouette of mating rabbits, Victoria pushes his ideas into the public arena with moral fearlessness and visual force. His work has won awards from many national and international design competitions, including an Emmy Award for television animation, gold and silver medals from the New York Art Directors Club, and the Grand Prix from the Czech Republic Design Biennial. He teaches on the faculty of the School of Visual Arts in New York City, where he joins me in our studio to talk about his brand new book, Victory, or Who Died and Made You Boss? James, welcome to Design Matters. Howdy. Howdy. How you doing today, darling?
1: <laughs> it's good to be here.
2: Oh, it's good to see you here. So first of all, why a book? Why a book now?
1: I don't know. Next question. Okay. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, <laughs> I was ready. I, 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 um, I'm i At a point in my career where I've done a bunch of work and I want to move on. There's other projects. There's other things that I want to do. And I think for me a process of kind of collecting all that work and putting it in a box um, and burying it basically. Um, So that's why a book.
2: But you're actually doing the opposite of burying it. You're actually presenting it. You're actually putting it out there. You're exposing it to everyone as opposed to putting it in a dark place where no one can see it.
1: You're right, you got me.
2: Okay, cool. Uh so why the title? Victory or who died and made you boss?
1: The title comes from a phrase that was used around the house when I was a kid when you stepped outside of your your boundaries. Mm-hmm. Right? Um and it would usually be followed with a cuff upside the head, you know? Hey, who died and made you boss, you know? Um and I think to a certain extent that's what I've done for, as a, in my career. Part of my job is moving forward without permission. Uh, part of my job is pushing this career and pushing this industry as hard as I can to do g- good work or try to do great work. Um, and I don't wait. I'm not a wallflower. I don't wait for people to ask me to dance. Um, and I'm, I'm happy working with awesome, brave, amazing clients who have um, American money or euros. <laughs> um, but I don't wait for that. I'll, I'll go off and um, you know create the work on my own if necessary.
2: When you were a little boy and people said, James, who died and made you boss, what did you say?
1: Um, You don't respond to that one because it wasn't people. It was my dad.
2: (laughs) That's really interesting. My my dad says that now, too. But he says it more in the realm of you're not the boss of me. Mm -hmm. And so now, actually, I say, well, actually, Dad, I think now I actually am.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have a piece of paper and it's signed. So
2: you have to do what I say now. Um, You asked Paul Sayre the great designer, Paul Sayer mm-hmm. to design the book for you yes. as opposed to doing
1: it yourself. Yes. Why? Um, I know what I'm good at and I know um, what I'm not good at.
2: And a book isn't one of them?
1: Designing a book like this with my own work is not one of them. I don't have the perspective when I look at my work. I'm not good at curating and editing. And Paul is, um, one, he's a, a dear friend of mine and I wanted to work with him. And two, he has a great eye for um, editing and, and editing my work. So I was much more, much happier to uh, to not have it sitting in my studio because I don't, I don't think I could, I don't think I could have um, put the work in the right perspective. I'm just too close to it. I actually don't like. I've had gallery shows and they make me um, uncomfortable.
2: Why? Why, why do they make you uncomfortable?
1: It's like it's for me. It's like walking into a room and seeing my dirty laundry hanging. And uh, it was so effortless the collaboration um paul said black and i said yes he said sideways and i said yes he said helvetica and i said yes it anything was, you said no to um uh, no no i don't think there was anything that we did that we disagreed on the one thing that um i was a little hesitant about was um putting in ugly work paul wanted there were some there are some pieces in there and and even in the writing i mentioned you know this is these are not beautiful things because i'm not that's not a big concern of mine making making beautiful all the time but he he made suggestions of some pieces to put in there because they were um, the the story was interesting
2: well are you talking about the work at the very beginning of the book that really shows how you became the visual artist that you are now or are you talking about work for clients or projects that are further along in the trajectory of the
1: book, there are pieces in there that, um, um, on the outset, they weren't supposed to be beautiful, and they're not things that I would put into a gallery show. So, for example, there's the piece about um, um, against the uh, the MTA. Okay, you know, it's not a beautiful piece. It's not something I would put in a gallery show, but it's a good story, and Paul. Um, suggested putting that in, in, into the book. Um, the early stuff, yes, the book jackets, some of the early book jackets. And and the way I see it now is when I look at the early stuff, I can see some young dude oh working so it's, hard. It's so
0: great, Picking though.
1: typefaces and trying to work with color. And it was amazing. They're
2: so earnest, James. The early work that you included in this book is, I think, so important to your story. One of the remarkable things about the book is how compelling it is it is as a narrative. It's not simply a monograph of your greatest hits with a little bit of early work sprinkled in at the beginning to ground the reader. It's really a story about becoming an artist and becoming a designer and the navigation through the highs and lows of that experience. And what I found so remarkable throughout the book was your adherence to a certain center, a sort of moral center that, uh, and and moral is probably the wrong word because it feels somehow judgmental, but just sort of the sincerity of what you believe your purpose is as an artist. And I'm wondering if you can talk about a little bit about your philosophy and how you approach design and how you approach art.
1: you You're making me cry. (laughs)
2: Well, that's good. (laughs) I I, I always find it to be a successful interview when I get somebody to shed a tear.
1: Um, In the writing, I worked very hard to be honest about what I feel about my work, what I feel about the industry, what I feel about society um, and where we are and designers' contribution to it. And the entire time, and even now, I was somewhat afraid of. um, uh, And the phrase I use in the book is, uh, you know, shooting myself in the foot again, and not, you know, like, you know, you'll never work in this town again, kind of thing. Um, But I have to tell those stories, and I have to. um, I besides just being a graphic designer, I'm a teacher, and I think I wanted to have the book be a teaching book. About the difficulties and the um, you know the highs and the lows of trying to trying to hold that line professionally, because I have a lot of students who get out of school and they work for an advertising agency and they come to me and the you know the first job out the gate is you know they're low on the wrong and they've been given you know cigarettes to work on and they come and they ask me these questions like oh my god how do I you know what do I do and I say well listen there's a line and if you cross it. Down the road, you're going to be on stage and you're going to be a fancy pants and someone's going to ask you, is there a line? And you got to tell the truth.
2: Now, you you mentioned shooting yourself in the foot. And in the book, you state that you've always tried to make work that has an opinion. And that opinion since the beginning of your career has been the thing that has resulted in your shooting yourself in the foot professionally. Yes. Do you feel like you'd be in a different place if you hadn't had such strong opinions about your work or yeah. in your work?
1: Yeah, I think I think if I didn't put my opinion in the work, the, it would be it would be less. It would be basically standard issue graphic design. I'd be picking right. colors and uh, picking typefaces and putting them together in a in a fashion that uh, you know just uh, makes a, my client happy, um, which I do.
2: Oh, so you might have had more clients, but less important work.
1: Um. Yeah. No, I'm not. I've never been concerned about more clients. Um, I'm a happy guy. I'm 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 the richest guy I know. I have everything I want, and I, I, I have a great life. Um, but I also feel that this business there it, there's an opportunity to 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 have say. Um, and I come from a long line of anarchists and misfits who you know who 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 this industry, you know, uh, before it turned into an industry. People like uh, Tommy Ungerer or people like you know Pushpin Studios, or um, um, and there's a lot of humor and poetry and sex appeal in their work, commercial work, and I just want to kind of maintain that uh, that level of um, of making the work personal. There's this idea that I talk about in teaching and I try to talk about in the book as well, which is um, in the particular lies the universal. And I think if I put my own story, my own feelings, my own sense of humor or sex appeal in the work, I think it speaks more to a broader audience in lieu of what, what generally happens in advertising, which is if you make it as generic as possible, you know, that it speaks to a broader audience. But it means less. So I'd much rather kind of take a chance, reach fewer people, but reach them in a more meaningful way.
2: One of your inspirations was Paul Bacon, um, and you stated that you learned about cars and auto racing and wine and how to tell a joke so dirty it would singe your eyebrows off. Um, in other words, he taught you everything you needed to know as a designer. How did he do that?
1: Um for a number of years, I was basically just a, an apprentice in Paul's studio and I swept the floor and I took out the garbage and I stood in, you know, over his shoulder and watched him work.
2: How did you get the apprenticeship?
1: Um, Paul was, a, uh, was an instructor of mine at the School of Visual Arts. He gave me a D. <laughs> I wasn't a good student. Um, but I dropped out of school and, and I knew I wanted to be in this business. I knew what I wanted to do. Uh, so I went to his studio and I asked for a um, – I called it an apprenticeship because I did, didn't know they were internships. I didn't know what that, what that word was. Um, and he's, he thought for a second. He said, well, no one ever asked. Sure. So I just started hanging around the studio watching him work.
2: Why did you pick Paul Bacon? I mean he gave you the D in the class and yet you showed up on his doorstep and oh, asked yeah. if you could apprentice.
1: I had to be around this guy. He was just so interesting and so charming. He was like, he was in his uh, middle sixties at the time, and he had this tiny little studio, and it just had an energy to it. It was just a marvelous place to be, and I call him my 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 other father. You know, he was a huge influence on me. Still, he still is. He's an amazing guy. He was so well rounded and so well read. He can speak intelligently about any subject. Um, he can still tell the most raucous jokes. Um, and he's a, a jazz musician. You know, he's just an interesting cat and the kind of person I'd like to, you know, you'd, you'd want to sit next to at a dinner party. And all of his interests inspired him and made him a better artist. He could paint. He could draw typefaces. He could take beautiful photographs. I mean, he was a, a real craftsman, a real artist. And the more interests you have, the more cultured and cultivated and, and well-read and um, it all informs the work. Everything makes it better.
2: Now, you said that when you were working for him or when you were apprenticing for him that you were absolutely sure you wanted to be in the field of graphic design. But you ended up dropping out of SVA after one of your instructors told you that you should consider becoming a ski instructor or a CPA. Um, is that an urban myth or is that true?
1: No, it's, it's totally true. It's totally true. So now what I do in school is I try to be the instructor that I needed. I try to be the guy who, who lights fires literally <laughs> in the classroom. My job is to impress upon students how awesome and what a privilege it is to work in this industry and how they should take it seriously. Um, I love what I do for a living and I want to feel like more people do. I want to see it out in the streets when a truck goes by and there's, a, there's an ad on the side
2: and what do you what do you attribute to your um, sticking with it after your professor told you to become an accountant?
1: Oh, you know he, he was a boob. Um, I was a lousy student, and I knew it. It was a bad time for me to be in school I was 20 i think 21 uh i was hardly even a person at that age yeah and i was in you know i was living in new york i had a i had a a day job i was making five dollars an hour which to me was just a whole bucket of money oh yeah
2: i was making six james (laughs) i felt rich at the time yeah
1: it was awesome to live in new york three hundred
2: dollars a week you know
1: have an apartment by myself way out in hinterlands but um new york was exciting at twenty-one years old, with five dollars in your pocket,
2: and so when you dropped out of school, is that when you went to apprentice for Paul?
1: Yes. And then yes. what did immediately? What, immediately, I, I think I, I think I just like hopped on the bus right out of school and went straight up to. He had a small studio on the eleventh floor of uh, Carnegie Hall, so it was a great place to be. And um, um, you know, I I. Coming to New York, I moved to New York when I was 19 with $300 in my pocket you know, um, to go to school. And I basically uh, paid my way working, paid my way through, uh, through school. And um, I knew what I wanted to do. I had a plan. I had a 15-year plan. I knew where I was going to be what I, by the time I was 35 years old. I knew I wanted my name on the door. I knew the type of work I wanted to do. And because I had this goal, by the time I was 35, I'd kicked the shit out of that plan. I so far surpassed my goals.
2: Now, you mentioned before that in your studio, you have these moments where you and and uh, the folks that work with you uh, realize that everything is graphic design, that everything sort of leads you up to this experience of graphic design. But <laughs> when, one of the things that I found so interesting is that you state in your book that it's not a book about graphic design. Yeah. So what is it about?
1: Well, it- I wanted to do a monograph. I wanted to take all this work and collect it up and put it in a box and, and, and be done with it and move, and, and move on. Um, but I don't want just a book of pretty pictures. It doesn't interest me. It's the kind of book that you flip through, you know, 10 minutes after you buy it and then you put it on a shelf and it's, you know, it stays there. Um, I wanted to write a book, a book book. You know, it's a a book that would be interesting for someone to read, a book that tells a a story or, you know, the stories, the work that's included in the book, they're chosen because there are particular stories about it, you know, about the pieces.
2: How do you find your clients?
1: Um, I make phone – I make uh, cold calls. You do? Oh, hell yeah. And James – so James Victoria
2: could call you one day and say, hey, you got any work?
1: He couldn't call me. I don't know how that would work. (laughs) If I had two cell phones, I could do that. I could try that sometime. it
2: would be a good way to practice.
1: Oh, call myself. Oh, you no, know, in practice I did when I, was, when I was starting out. When I was starting in this business, I used to practice on the phone. I used to practice like picking up and dialing and saying, Hi, this is James. No, no. Hello, this is – no, 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 no. I would literally practice my hello, I'm looking for work on the phone. It was crazy.
2: Can you pretend that you're calling someone to ask if they have any work that you could do? What would you – how would you do that? Can you send can you do a, it right now? I'd
1: send an email. No, you
0: said you call,
1: so
2: pretend. <laughs> ring, ring, ring,
0: ring. Hello.
1: Um, um, um. <laughs> no, it's still fear-based. It's still you know still riddled with fear. Um, but no, we totally cold call. There's a um, uh, a guy who we've been in touch with for hell, I think it's like three years, and we haven't really done a job for him yet. His name is Troy Lee. He's a he's out in Corona, California. He's a, in the uh, in the um, racing industry, and it's like. We are close friends now because I've called so many times. <laughs> you know, we've been—we send them stuff, we send them gifts. We, you know, we think of them fondly. Um, I actually sent him the book. I sent him this book, and I got an extremely nice uh, message on my answering machine from, uh, from you know, from the guy. But uh, no, I'm not afraid of you know contacting people.
2: It's so interesting because so many designers just wait for the phone to ring, and oh, their no. career tends to be more haphazard because of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, Yours I'm is very deliberate. Yeah, no, it's uh, um, but we don't we don't just do um, carpet bombing. We're very specific. There's only a few people on the planet, you know, that that we that we want to work for. And if other people come to us, then then awesome. I just had a meeting last night with the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, to start a, start a new project. Um, that is a perfect client for me. You know, public awareness, you know, using graphic design as, a, uh, as a, this perfect communication tool. Uh, we'd love to do, uh, you know, a ton of work for them.
2: And you talk about some of your clients as comrades. Mm-hmm. Why is that?
1: Because we don't want, we don't want cl- you know, clients. A lot of times, like in the advertising industry, a lot of advertisers call us and we basically, we're like, oh my God, we'd love to work for such and such and such and such brand. But the problem is there's no relationship there. It's, it's, hey, who's that guy that does those scribbly scribbly drawings? Get that guy. We want him to do a scribbly drawing for us. But it's like one shot goodbye. I'm not really interested in that kind of stuff. I want to, I want to, I want to work with people who I get to know. I want to work with people who, um, um, we have a little back and forth. Um, and so it's, it's just like any other relationship. You spend time together, working together, and it gets better and better and better. Like you know, working with the School of Visual Arts, for example, and doing having a relationship with uh, um, with the Rhodes family, you know, through uh, bus shelter posters and stuff. It just you know, I got more and more confident working with these guys, um, and the work gets better.
2: So it gets better and better. And in talking about and in describing the way that you work. In your book, you say that in order to get to great work, you have to examine the cliché, then dig deeper into the idea, and then do that again and again, turning it and twisting it each time, carving each idea down to a sharper and sharper point. Who said that? You did.
1: That's nice. That not it? That's really nice.
2: So how do you know when to stop carving?
1: Uh, the ultimate inspiration is the deadline. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit, you know, that's due tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> Start carving. We should, we, <laughs> we Sharpen should, the knife. We should, we should finish this up, you think?
2: So, so is it intuitive? Do you know when something is good? How do you know when to stop when it's finished aside from the deadline?
1: Um, it's, a, 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 it's a great question because that point changes. It's changing for me. Um, I'm at a point right now where I actually would – will stop a lot sooner than I would have five, ten years ago. Meaning I'm trying to get to a place that is even more clumsy, less finished, less perfect. Perfection interests me less and less every year. Um, In doing that, I'm actually trying to get the work sharper and stronger kind of take the graphic design out of it and make it just something much more visceral or alive and not finished and shiny and produced.
2: I read that one, at one time uh, your goal was to make work that people would want to steal. Yeah, right? Still?
1: Yeah. Why is of that? Of course. Why? Because th- that, that, that's, that's a marvelous real emotion that you would be getting from the public, right? If you, if you make something that someone cares that deeply about that they would want to steal it, that's awesome.
2: Think anybody's stealing your book?
1: I hope so. (laughs) I hope so.
2: Several years ago, you headlined an event for the New York chapter of the AIGA, and it was titled Mad as Hell. And during the lecture, somebody asked you why you were mad as hell. And your response was, because no one else is. Do you still feel that way?
1: That line is um, a lie. Really? But it's a lie... To illuminate the truth, I don't think nobody else is. I don't think I'm mad as hell. But what I was trying to say um, is that I'm often surprised at I don't know the lack. Well, and specifically that was post nine eleven, and I was surprised at the lack of graphic design response to the fact that we're you know bombing camels in the desert.
2: It is surprising how little response there was at that time. Yeah. I wonder why. Why is that?
1: I don't know. I think do you think people just everyone's... felt like
2: a poster couldn't do anything?
1: No, I think people are busy at their jobs, you know, like all other good Americans, you know, we have, you know, two jobs. They have to work so they can uh, pay the rent, you know. Um, I don't know. I don't uh, – maybe, Maybe. you know, uh, I think we we were also were in and are in a position where um, kind of questioning is unpatriotic.
2: You've been teaching – for 15 years, despite dropping out of your undergraduate career, and I, I know that you consider your goal as a teacher to awaken possibilities. How do you do that? How do you help people to see their own possibilities?
1: Part of my process in teaching is to get students to not, to not look outside for answers. I try to get them to look inside, to trust themselves, to To use their own history and their own f- life as fodder for work, and not, you know, go running to uh, you know uh, um, design annuals, flipping through the pages and looking. Oh, you know, warm red, flush left. I can do that. You know, I want them to have answers on the inside, so I push them in that direction. Um, I have assignments that are not. Design-related, really. Um, I I kind of urge them not to be graphic designers because I think once you say graphic design, I think I think there's a certain cliche in there, and, and and some people are happy to ride in that line, which is fine. But I just think that I think that it uh, it, it can be more, and it can be more meaningful, and it can be. Uh, uh, I want them to be able to design their lives.
2: Tell me about some of the assignments that you ask the students to create.
1: My assignments are based on the lessons that I learned from uh, a hero of mine. His name is Henrik Tomaszewski. He died a few years ago. Um, He was an amazing artist and amazing uh, design instructor. But he had these classes that he taught at the university in Warsaw, um, and they were abstracts, meaning they were aphorisms like um, always the other.
2: I like that, always the other.
1: Or uh, big nothing, little nothing. Um, And I think – as a designer, you can't just start picking images, and you, you really have to figure out what it means to you. And obviously, if it means, it, it has to mean something different to each and every student. If I said reggae album, you know, you know what we're going to get? We're going to get twenty of the exact same things. But if I say big nothing, little nothing, or I say yesterday, today, tomorrow, show me it on a page. You know, they, they're forced to think.
2: You talk about what you call God jobs in your book, and I understand that you start all of your jobs as God jobs. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by God job for our listeners?
1: Yeah, I mean, for, for me, there's, there's, you know, two kinds of work. There's jobs you do for money, and there's jobs you do for God, you know, doing, trying to do good work for good people. And um, I want to start all of them as God jobs, as an opportunity to do just something so, um, you know, something even surprising to me. You know, um, I'm extremely excited about this, this opportunity to work with the, you know, with the CDC. because you know, the, the, the best jobs are the, the, the next jobs, you know, uh-huh. um, and I like getting excited about these things. And I've been really lucky in that I've had the opportunity to work with amazing clients. But if it's a relationship like this um, and it starts to be um, painful – if the client kind of is starts being wishy washy if it doesn't you know if it does, if it if there are some things that start you know not working out and it can't be a god job, it turns into a money job and we get it you know we'll we'll get it done and you say, hey, you know that was that was nice, that was a pretty good job. we did together, why don't we uh, you know and uh, and then you know it's kind of like call me <laughs> you know it's kind of like the kind of clumsy relationship thing like you know, hey, I had a good time, it seemed like you had a good time why't you, you know why don't you call me uh please <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay James I've been working up my courage to ask you this question. Is it true that you despise branding?
1: No. No, I do we do that for a living. We we do branding for a number of clients. Um what I despise is uh, a a company that makes bottled water that in order to get more shelf space will put orange <laughs> in it, you know? And then put green in it and then put blue in it. And all they're doing is selling you um, the price of a label. They're just selling paper and presenting it as a new thing that we need, which we don't need. And I understand why they do it. I understand why. Why I was at a bar yesterday and and um, uh, Patron. You know, there's like five different bottles of, of Patron on the bar, and the one on the left is dark. And I'm, I had asked the bartender. I said, "What? What's with the, what's this Patron here?" And they said, "Oh, it's coffee, coffee Patron." I'm like, "Oh, that's." The a good idea. Somebody wants that, I guess. <laughs> 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 and it just kind of seems like, I don't know, it just seems to me like, uh, hey, look, it's new. It has a different paper on it. Awesome. So uh, that kind of thing is kind of creepy. Um, I, I, I will be honest with you and tell you that I am an idealist. I'm the kid who still believes in, in, in Santa Claus and it's hard to be an adult and be an idealist.
2: Well I think that's what we like most about you James.
1: <laughs> you know, I just have, you know, I, you know, I kind of feel like uh, whenever I see like the patron thing, I feel like uh, one of those ladies at um, one of the one of the aunts at a uh, bridal shower. Like Oh, and you need this? (laughs) Somebody wants that?
2: Okay. (laughs) Well, I always say that there's somebody out there in the world that must like peach-flavored powdered iced tea. Because it's still there selling on the shelves. Yep. The last question I want to ask you, um, you include the E.E. Cummings quote, There is some shit I will not
1: eat in your book. Yes, from Song of Olaf, I think it is. What shit won't you eat? I try not to develop a palate for any shit. And it's funny. Um, the way you learn to eat shit is just a little at a time. Because <laughs> if you take a whole mouthful, it's like it's just going to turn you off forever, oh, right? It's so good. Yes. It's just a little. But if you have just a little, just a little, you know, you develop you, a, you taste, develop for a taste for it. and Before um, you know and it. And it becomes this, uh, this um, You're addicted slip- to shit. slippery slope. Yeah. You're addicted to to new diet shit. Coffee
2: shit. (laughs) (laughs) Patron and shit. (laughs) Um, No, that
1: would be Patron and caca. (laughs) (laughs) And there you see the genius Ah, of James ah, Victoria. Did it again. again. Ah. Wit on
2: the spot. Get me, Mr. Patron.
1: (laughs) I've got an idea for you. That's how I would call him. Senor Patron, listen to this. And you know what he
2: would say? Who died and made you boss? (laughs) Thank you for being on Design Matters, James. Thank you, dear. (laughs) Thanks for joining me on Design Matters. To find out more about James Victoria and his plans for world domination, you can visit his website, www.jamesvictory.com. I'd like to thank you for listening, and remember... We can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you again soon.
0: Design Matters with Debbie Millman is recorded at the Masters in Branding Studio at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. It is produced by Curtis Fox Productions, with technical assistance by Rainey Ortica, and research by Jen Simon. The show is produced exclusively by designobserver.com. You can subscribe to this free podcast in the iTunes Store.